On uh, June 4th, 1940, <clears throat> that's a date that uh, one of the finest, by people who know, one of the finest speeches given in the English language was delivered at the English House of Commons. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, stood and held forth as, as the nation had just escaped at Dunkirk. Everyone in the hall that day thought Nazi Germany was just about ready to invade. Churchill described the events, he described the situation, and he ended by saying, we shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields, in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. In that short few sentences, in that peroration, there are ten uses of the word we. We. We will fight. We will defend. We shall fight. We shall fight. We shall fight. John F. Kennedy said it best when he said, Churchill mobilized the English language and sent it into battle. And what he did with that speech was unite a country. Unite a country against a common foe, Nazi Germany. Here at Center Church, we're considering unity as well. Our foe is not some enemy that's going to march against our country. The foe that we are ensuring that we fight against is the foe of disunity. Disunity is dissension, is something that can sneak into any church. And so what we're trying to do is make sure that we understand why we have common cause. We as a church are united around a common Savior. And we're living in a time where more, more and more people in our culture are bringing our attention to what we do not have in common. And so for us in this time, over the next few weeks, we're reminding ourselves of what we do have in common and why we are united. And today, we're going to remind ourselves that we as a church, Center Church, we are one body. We are one body. The idea this morning is that we are one and we must remain one. We must fight to remain one. So I'm going to read again from Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. For context, we're going to look at the two words we see in verse 4. Verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul speaking, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Lord God, I ask that you would bless our time this morning. We don't want to just learn. We want to grow. I pray that you would help us as a church to be 
more united around you than ever. And I pray that you would help us to be informed, challenged, and comforted by your word, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. One body. You might think a whole sermon on two words. Yes. Now there's a logic to it. We are united in one body. And so we're going to see that one God necessarily leads to one body, and one body necessarily leads to one people, and one people necessarily leads to one place. And we'll do that in three points. First, one God and one body. The reason that we can be called one body is because we serve one God. The model and basis for the unity of any local church in any time and place is the triune God. God who is three and God who is one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Complete unity, but yet diversity as well. The Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. But God the Father is God, and God the Son is God, and God the Spirit is Spirit. United. Together. As a church, our unity is to reflect that unity. Now, I'm going to take a trip here for a second to the theater of the, dis- of, of the absurd and the heretical. So, it's not normal that I invite you to join me as we talk heresy, but let's go. Ready? Here we go. Can you imagine the Father having to break up a fight between the Spirit and the Son? If you can... We'll have ministry after. I hope not. Can you imagine the father having to break up a fight? Can you imagine the son holding a grudge against the father? Certainly not. Why? Can you imagine the spirit deciding to go rogue and saying, you know what, there's not enough songs about me. I'm going out there and I'm going to make people write songs about me. Forget you, father and son. Do you think that could ever happen? No. Why? Because they're united as one, right? They're one. Just as ludicrous as it is for us to imagine that there can be disunity in the Godhead, the same is true for the body of Christ. It should be that ludicrous. Now, the reason we don't find it ludicrous, division and dissension in a local body, is why? Because we've seen it. We've experienced it. We've felt it. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. Why? Because we serve one God. We're called to be one body. The second idea is that one body makes one people. That one body makes one people. Now, the word body, one body is shorthand for the body of Christ. That's the idea. So it's not just some random body of people, but it is shorthand for the body of Christ. So that means that the body of Christ, so Christ is the head of the church, and the church is the way that Christ represents himself to the watching world. The church is his body. The church is not just a random collection of people, but a body gathered together by Jesus Christ with him as our head. It means... That if the world wants to know what Jesus looks and acts like, they should look at the people of God. They should look at the church. 
That's why the primary mission of each church is what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Those disciples are called into Christ's family, and that family is the body of Christ. Now, one of the confusing things about the word body, or sorry, about the word church in the Bible is that it's used in two ways. It's used in two ways. The church can mean all the people of God from every time and place, or a specific people in one time and one place. All the people from every time and every place, that can be called church, that's called usually the universal church, or a church can also be a specific local body in a specific local place at a specific time. I'm going to show you these two differences from a couple scriptures in the New Testament. One of the most famous places where Jesus speaks of the church as the whole body of, as the whole people of God is Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you, this is Jesus, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now here, he's not thinking about a, a specific church. We can't say, and I tell you, Peter, and on this rock I will build my center church, us. Woo, what up, everybody else? That's not how this is what's supposed to be. Instead, my church here is, is a way to say all the people of God from all times and in all places. And what he's saying is anyone who is genuinely his will not be taken by death because the gates of hell will not prevail against people who have eternal life and are in his body. That's what he's saying. Ephesians 3 also uses the word church in much the same way. As Paul says to me, Though I am the very least of the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church, not a church, the church, the church universal, everybody from all times in all places, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, a lot of times in the United States, we're most comfortable with the universal understanding of church. All times, every place. But let, let's look again at verse 1, and let's see if we can obey this with all times and every place. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, or making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Can we do that with people we don't know and that we're not in the same body with? No. Let's do a little thought experiment. If the universal church is made up of all saints for all time from all places, let's pick one at random. Jim Elliot. Let's say Jim Elliot. Jim Elliot. You may know, Jim, may, may know the story of Jim Elliot. He was a missionary that went to Ecuador to reach what were then called the Aka Indians. Him and four other missionaries lost their lives in 1956. And Jim Elliot, 
though dead, is alive with Christ. Now, is Jim Elliot our brother? Yes. Is Jim Elliot a part of the church? Yes. Does Jim Elliot worship Jesus like we do? Yes. Is Jim Elliot saved like we are? Yes. Does Jim Elliot know Jesus like we do? Kind of. He sees him, we don't, but yes. Now, can we make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit with Jim Elliot? No. Why? He's dead and not here. He's with Jesus. See, it's not as if we can read Ephesians 1 and go, you know what, Jim, I've been holding this against you for a long time. I'm going to make every effort to be humble toward you, Jim Elliot, even though you're not in my life, even though I've never met you, even though I've never seen you. No. How do we apply this as one body? We apply it together in one place with the specific people, not with people who are with Jesus already or people who are on the, on the other side of the globe, a part of another local church. In the New Testament, most of the time the word church is used, it is used to speak of a specific church in a specific place or a body of Christ. The lion's share of that is, that's the way it's used. And I can show you just a couple examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1 says, to the church of God that is at Corinth. The church of God that is at Corinth. That's one specific church. Those people are all now with Jesus. That church doesn't exist. But when the book was written, Paul wrote to the church of God at Corinth. Now notice he doesn't say the church, a church of God at Corinth, but he says the church of God at Corinth. So it can be said that those people, even though they did not represent all people for all time, that local church was specifically a body just like us. See this as well in Galatians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia. Galatia is like a state back then. So there are multiple churches, and the letter was passed around through all of them. So, when we read in Ephesians chapter 4, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's here. Or if it's if you're a part of another church, that's there. Because we're one body. We have one God, therefore we're one body. We're one body, and therefore we are one people. There is a real sense that as Christians, we've lost the right to think primarily and only about ourselves. In fact, part of the way that the Lord rewires our mind is that when we are saved, when we are connected to Jesus, he connects us to his people. Not just universally, from all places at all times, but also locally. And that's where it gets hard. That's where we have to make every effort to be unified and be one body. We've seen that there's one God and one body. One body and one people, and lastly, one people in one place. That's a local church, and that's, we're going to talk about us, center church. Center church. There's a lot of things out there in the world today that are vying for our attention. Our country is not unified. And it's very easy, as we said last week, for that disunity, that dissension, 
to seep into here. And so we need to remember why we are together. We're together because God has called us to be together in one body. And we're called to work to be unified. Unity doesn't just happen when we're in the same room. Unity is something that we have to fight for. Unity is something that we have to, we have to make sure that we take seriously because it doesn't just happen. It's easy to be unified with people that we never meet or don't know. It's hard to be unified with people who have different opinions about things, who have different, different political perspectives, who have different understandings about things as far-ranging as, as organics or organic food to inoculation. All of those things can vie for our attention and separate churches. But we're one body. It must not separate us. So how can we, as a church, how can we as a church stay united in one body? He tells us in verse 2, remember? With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. 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 A robust personal humility will push us away from being hypercritical. Because let's be real, all of us have things to criticize, right? All of us have weaknesses. All of us has, have flaws. All of us have things that we need to overlook. But you know what we often do is that we look at other people and we're hypercritical about their failings and their flaws and their foibles. That doesn't affect unity. That affects disunity. We're called to be humble, to think of ourselves as less. Why? Because we are in one body. We are in one body. How ridiculous would it be for if my right index finger had something against my left eye? How ridiculous would that be? Imagine my right index finger deciding, convincing not the middle finger or this finger, but this finger, this finger, hand, the wrist, and the arm to the elbow, that there's something wrong with, that they need, it needs to get my eye, right? The shoulder's out, but the elbow's in. And so imagine, you know, me having to, to kind of do this, to watch out because my right finger has it out for my left eye. Now, how ridiculous would that be for me to be walking around going like, yeah, don't, don't pay any attention because I'm really okay even though my right finger wants to poke my left eye out. Would I really be okay? The answer to that is no. Same thing with the church. My right finger is just as much part of my body as my left eye. You are just as much a part of the body as me. And for you to have something against somebody else would be as crazy as my right finger having something against my left eye. That's the idea. We're one body, and we must fight to remain one. The reason it doesn't seem ridiculous to have something against somebody else is because it's easy 
It's simple. But we are the body. We are, we are a representation of Jesus Christ in the world. We are, the, we are one of the, we are, as a local church, we are a body of Christ. One body, together. Called to be unified together around Jesus. Jesus has overlooked our many sins and has forgiven us and called us to be together. He's called us to be one. He has made us new. And therefore, I can overlook all kinds of things in other people where I should be able to do that. Why? Because he has overlooked things in me. More than that, he died for me so that I might be able to have new life. Therefore, I can overlook things in other people so that I might be united to them as we seek to follow Jesus together. That's unity in one body. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to be. Now, does this mean in unity we're going to be uniform? No. We're not. We're from different places. We have different hopes and dreams. We have different political opinions. Some of us hate masks. I'll look in the camera. Some of us hate masks. And that's okay. Some of us are wearing masks to serve other people, or maybe you're at risk. That's fine, too. Now, if something as thin as a piece of fabric comes, comes between the people of God in this body, something's wrong. So what I'm not saying is everybody has to have the same opinion about masks. We need the same opinion about Jesus Christ and who he is and that we gather around him. And you can believe what you want under God for masks. That's the same way for all kinds of issues. All kinds of issues. Listen, the unity of a local church is precious and worth fighting for. We must fight this unity and remember we are one body. We must fight to speak up building words. We must Fight to forgive again and again. We must fight slights. Fight to remember slights. Fight to forget slights and remember blessings. We must fight to resist making judgments. We must fight to remember we are one. Together. In Christ. With common cause. In one body. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us all. And I pray that you would, would help us to lay aside our rights, our preferences, our opinions, anything that would cause disunity in this fellowship, Lord. Lord, we're not perfect, Lord, I know that. But may we be authentic. Lord, I pray that you would help us to reflect the unity of the Godhead to the watching world. Lord, I ask that you would Help center church, Lord. Help us to be a people that are fixed on you, Jesus. That we focus on you. That we know you for who you are. That we fight to stay together because we know that we are one body united under one head for one purpose, and that's to bring glory to Christ. So I pray that you would help us to be a people who overlook and forgive and be humble. 
not in the name of, of, of just not caring about things, but in the name of unity for the cause of Christ. Jesus, it's in your name that we pray and ask for help. Amen.